Amen. Please bow with me and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this moment you've given us to come and worship as your people. Lord, I pray you'd be with me. I pray that you'd help me to preach a message that is, is faithful, that is clear, that points people to what you have done for us and your son Jesus. And Lord, we pray and we ask as a church that you would change us and shape us, humble us now, we ask, to hear your word and be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, how has God provided for you recently? Maybe you can think of physical blessings, the way the Lord's provided for you, even to be here this morning. Some of you recovering from sickness and the Lord's restored your health and brought your energy back. He's blessed you physically and provided for you in that way. Maybe your mind is drawn towards the material blessings that God has given you. Maybe a recent job the Lord gave you, uh, the way He's provided for you financially, that you're able to pay your bills. Maybe there's, there's spiritual blessings that you're considering. So we understand the Lord blesses us in a variety of ways, physical blessings, material blessings. Every single Christian has been blessed with spiritual blessings, wonderful provisions from the Lord. So the provision of growing in our knowledge of God, spiritual fruit produced in our lives through the indwelling Holy Spirit of, of God, growing in joy, growing in peace that comes from the throne of God. Spiritual blessings of prayers being answered. We thought about that last week. God answers prayer. It's good for us to look back and see how God's been providing for us through answered prayer. Those are all spiritual blessings that God provides. How's God provided for you in that way recently? Or maybe when you take a minute to think, you think, you know what? If I'm honest, I've come in this morning and maybe I'm, I'm a bit discontent. Maybe I'm sad because I'm locked in on thinking about maybe how I perceive God hasn't provided in my life, something that He's not blessed me with. Maybe you're tempted to envy the way that God has blessed a brother or sister in this room, and, and rather than understanding and looking for what God is doing in your life, you're, you're locked in maybe on what you perceive He isn't doing in you or around you. So maybe a better question for us is this, do you recognize how God has provided for you recently. Well, for those who are in Christ, we did make sure we're not overlooking God's provision for us. We thought about this in the book of Genesis before. There is no greater provision that God can give us than Himself, His presence. You see, God's people, all of God's people have already received His greatest provision, Himself. And therefore, we can rejoice this morning in the blessing, the provision that God is with us. In the book of Genesis, this theme of God's presence, it's highlighted from creation with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The, the greatest thing about the Garden of Eden was the presence of God, uninterrupted fellowship with Him. Chapter 3 in Genesis, we see the fall of humanity with Adam and Eve sinning against God, rejecting His loving authority and disobeying His word and His command, walking away from the presence of, of God. And then the promise in Genesis chapter 3.15, that God would send one to crush the head of the serpent. This plan that God has for redemption. We see that carried on as we've been tracing through the life of, of Abraham and God's covenant with Abraham to purchase and to form a people for himself, a people that would know God, that would be blessed by God and walk in his 
presence. Well, today in the book of Genesis, we see Abraham's son, Isaac, receive a promise. He received some of the same promises that Abraham received, but a very specific promise we see him receiving in Genesis 26 is that God promises to provide him with the greatest blessing, the presence of God. Turn with me to Genesis 26 if you're not already there. The best way to stay locked in on the sermon is to open up a copy of the Bible. If you want to take one of those Bibles right in front of you in the pew, uh, take that and you can turn to page 20. Page 20, you'll find Genesis chapter 26. And if you've come this morning and you don't own a Bible, we want to give that Bible to you. That's our gift to you. We offer that every week. Uh, Take that Bible home with you. Read it. We'd love to connect you with someone here that could read the Bible with you and help you to see more of who God is and what He's done through His Son, Jesus. I'm going to read through all of Genesis chapter 26 as we begin our time together. We'll actually go through verse 33 because verse 34 will fit better with what we see in chapter 27 next week. Let me read starting in verse 1 of chapter 26. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, 
and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and bless you, and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. There Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzeth, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. Just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Well, if you're new here this morning, we've been going through the book of Genesis for quite some time, starting back to to January of last year. We're just making our way through the story of Genesis. In the last chapter, we began to trace the descendants of Isaac. We saw in the last chapter very quickly the Lord's miraculous provision, the supernatural births of Jacob and Esau. The scene then shifted to Esau selling his birthright for a cup of red stew. Now, if you notice in this chapter, Jacob and Esau, they're not mentioned a single time. We we see that Isaac and Rebekah were there in Gerar for a long time, but we never see Jacob and Esau mentioned. And likely what we see here is that chapter 26 is not arranged chronologically to fall after 25. Likely what's taking place, this is arranged by theme. That Moses, the narrator of Genesis, he's helping to, to build a theme. He's showing the theme of God's faithfulness. And chapter 26 really serves as a link, showing us that the promises passed from Abraham to Isaac, and then on to his son Jacob. The theme, God makes promises and God keeps them. So the organization we see here largely thematic. And what Moses, I think he's doing, he's comparing and he's contrasting the lives of Abraham and Isaac in this chapter. And we see familiar scenes showing us like father, like son. We see some of the same fears, the same failures in the same cities and same places, even the same names of some of those rulers, but we also see something in the positive of like father, like son. Same promises. By God's grace, walking in faith and in obedience. And so this chapter is useful for us as Christians to help us understand that as we walk in faith and obedience to God, we're going to face trouble. We will face temptation and trial that may cause us to doubt God's promise, but the blessing and the promise that everyone who's put their faith in Jesus has, God is with us. We see that truth illustrated in the life of Isaac, that he knew problems and pain in life, and he also knew the presence of God. Well, the main idea that I want you to see this morning, if you're taking down notes, you can write this main idea down. As we face trouble, 
the presence of God guards and guides us. As we face trouble, the presence of God guides and guards us. We're going to go through verses 1 through 34 this morning, and I, I want to point out to you three scenes of God's presence that we find in Genesis 26. Three scenes of God's presence. The first scene is in verses 1 through 11. We see the scene of, of guarded by God's presence. Verses 1 through 11, guarded by God's presence. Well, again, as we read through the book of Genesis, there are a number of familiar situations that keep popping up where you might think, hey, didn't I read this before? This sounds awfully familiar. It's because we see that, that Isaac has some of the same experiences and temptations and failures that his father Abraham had. In chapter 12, Abraham faced a famine. And here in chapter 26, Isaac faces a famine, and Moses tells us it's a, it's a different famine. Now, when there was a famine in the land, where did Abraham go? He went down to Egypt. And the question as you're reading this is, will Isaac do the same thing? I mean, it seems like he's thinking about it. And the Lord intervenes there in verse 2, and he, he appears to Isaac. Now, previously in Genesis, we've seen the Lord appear to Abraham. And the promises here, this appearing, we see they've passed on to Isaac, and now the Lord appears directly to him. In this instance, the Lord appears to Isaac as an intervention, and he commands him to not go down to Egypt. Uh, he's promised this, actually. So don't go down to Egypt. Rather, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. And that's similar language to what we see God speaking to Abraham back in chapter 12, what we read this morning in our congregational scripture reading. When Abraham was called out of her, out of idolatry, and out of the land of slavery, he was called to go to a land that God would show him. And here in verse 2, God's saying the same thing to Isaac. I'm going to tell you of the land you should go to. Well, in the face of, of trouble, in the face of a famine, God called Isaac to stay put. I think about how challenging that is, right? You may have lived on the coast. I grew up in, in Florida before I moved to North Carolina. And when hurricanes came, there was a warning to evacuate, to get out. It, it was thought to be foolish if you would stay behind and try to weather out the storm. If there's a siren going off, you evacuate. When there's famine in the land, that means if you have means, if you have resources, you get out and you go somewhere else where you can have food so that you and your family can survive. And God says, stay put. Trouble is coming. Difficulty is coming. Pain is coming. Stay put and trust me. Now, again, a famine is a pretty big deal. It's hard for us, I think, to appreciate that. Uh, in America. Uh, the closest things that we deal to famine are supply chain issues, right? Everything is a supply chain issue today. If you can't get this, if you can't get a refill on your soda somewhere, it's a supply chain issue. If you can't find uh, filet mignon in the grocery store, it's a supply chain issue. It's backed up or it's like $17 a pound. I even heard someone joke this weekend. They said, well, I don't have a date this weekend. I'm just going to say that's a supply chain issue. Right? Like everything's a supply chain issue. Or, or Southerners, we know what it's like to go to the grocery store. Just like a few weeks ago, we look for food and winter weather is forecasted. If Brad Panovich puts it on Twitter, winter weather is forecasted, you better get to Harris Teeter and get your bread and your milk because it will be all sold out because Southerners love to have milk sandwiches when we're snowed in. That's the closest thing we know to like lacking something. And we, we get upset sometimes in those situations. Well, imagine what it would be like to be in a famine. 
where there actually is no food, there is no water, no crops are being produced. You're not, you're not concerned just about how you can make it a day or two off bread, but are we going to live and survive? Will this be the end of us? And God told him, stay put. This is a trial that would test his faith. You know, Egypt was a natural place to go during famine. The, the Nile River was there. There was lots of water, abundant crops to be produced. The promise that came with Egypt, you can go down there, there's plenty of food. You'll be safe. You'll be okay. You might be in a land of idolatry, in a land that's worshiping false gods, but you have all the food and comfort that you need. It would have required great faith to not go down to Egypt, but rather to remain in a land that famine was coming to. Well, Christian, I want to ask you this. Do you find yourself surprised when you're walking by faith and still encounter trouble? I think sometimes we do. We think, well, if, if I'm walking by faith and trying to serve the Lord and I'm walking in obedience to God and I'm faithful in my devotions and doing all this, well, things will go well. I'll keep my job. I'll get the, the bonus at work. My relationships will be going well. I'll, I'll deal just fine with temptation. Well, I wonder how often we get surprised by trouble. I love it that the Bible is realistic. The Bible gives us the promise that we have the presence of God with us if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible also prepares us, don't be surprised by trial. Don't be surprised by trouble. This side of glory, this side of the return of Jesus, we can know there will be trouble, but we also know God is with us. Now, while God calls His people to sometimes be in difficult situations or seasons, consider how the Lord uses those seasons and those situations to display His grace and His provision in those trials. I love the testimonies I hear from so many of you in our church. You know, we've got a 13-week equipping hour class going on right now on suffering, on a theology of suffering. And I love testimonies like what we've heard on Sunday night from Vera Hearn and others as she's suffered through and experienced God's victory even, a battle with cancer. I think what's encouraging to me, I don't know that trial, I don't know that struggle, I've, I've not had cancer, but when I listen to her and I, I think about all that she's been through and I hear her still praising God, that God's provided for her, that God is blessing her, that she finds comfort, not in what a doctor can tell her, but she finds comfort in God's presence and His provision in Jesus. Think about how God uses those situations and those seasons of difficulty and suffering in our life to wean us away from how much we rely on things this side of glory and to trust God, and to know His presence. Well, notice that God's command to not go down to Egypt and follow Him to the land He would, he would tell Isaac to go to. That command comes with blessing, and it comes with promise. That's what we see in verses 3 and 4. And these promises show the purpose of why God kept Isaac in Egypt. It's a renewal of God's covenant. So a lot of familiar promises that are here. We, we see again the promises that passed on from Abraham to Isaac, Familiar promises like land and descendants. Yet the main highlight of the promises given is there in verse 3. I will be with you and bless you. This is the first time the Lord makes that specific promise. God promised Isaac the greatest blessing. There is no greater blessing than God's presence. There's no greater blessing than the God, the creator of the universe, being with us. 
The one who spoke everything into existence by the power of his word. The one who's full of wisdom and power, who is high and lifted up, that he drawn near to us and he is, is with us. There's no greater blessing than God's presence. And when God promises his presence, he's also promising protection and provision. You see, Egypt promised the comfort of food. God promised the comfort of his presence. Isaac could go to Egypt, he could trust in what would be provided there in Egypt, the Nile River and abundant crops there, or he could obey God, he could sojourn in the land that God told him to remain in, and trust in the presence of God to guard him and to bless him. You see, to refuse the short-term gain of Egypt was to wait for a greater blessing. By refusing to go to Egypt, Isaac may not have had the immediate blessing of food, but he'll gain a far greater blessing than a meal that will quickly be gone. See, staying and waiting would involve more difficulty. As we see in the story, staying and waiting came with pain, it came with problems, it came with opposition. But as Isaac walked by faith and in obedience to God, he would know the greater blessing of God's presence. I will be with you. I will bless you. To pursue short-term gain in Egypt would be wandering away from the presence of God. And Christian, I wonder, where are you tempted to wander away from the presence of God? What is that Egypt for you? Something or someone you go and trust in and look to for, for, for life. Maybe even an area of sin and disobedience that you run to that is actually wandering away from the presence of God. I mean, something helpful in fighting against temptation and sin is to understand when you're tempted in the moment, just like Isaac was tempted to go to Egypt, you have an opportunity to say, I want to pursue the presence of God or I'm going to choose sin and disobedience, which is wandering away from the presence of God. And certainly we can think of clearly immoral steps away from God's presence, sexual immorality, lust, drunkenness, pornography. You're not going to be pursuing the presence of God if you're looking at pornography. But what about the kind of wandering that doesn't seem too bad at first? I mean, how often when you binge on Netflix or dive into your social media timeline, just give countless hours there, not only are you ignoring your family or your roommates, but are you pursuing the presence of God through that activity? How is that helping you know God more? Skipping time in, in prayer and the Word because you've stayed up too late or things just feel too busy? Coming to church once a month or twice a month because you can go to the mountains, you can go to the beach, lots of things to do on Sunday morning. Are those kinds of decisions helping you pursue the presence of God? If those things become patterns in your life, can you expect to grow in your knowledge of God and walking in His presence? I wonder, good question to ask yourself, how might you be beginning to wander right now? Sunday mornings are an opportunity for us to come and confess our sins, for God to use that to shape us, to, to wake us up from our sin, that we would leave here changed. This isn't just a routine that we come because it seems like a good way to spend our Sunday morning. We want to know God more. We want to walk in deeper worship with our God and King. We want Him to reveal hurtful ways within us that we would grow and be shaped as a Christian. Well, the greatest comfort that you and I can know 
very clearly, it's the presence of the Lord. The greatest comfort we can know is the comfort of His love, the comfort of being forgiven of our sins, the comfort of God's power and His grace. Well, Christian, give yourself to what will help you pursue the presence of God in your life. Well, after giving Isaac these promises, the Lord's words conclude in verse 5 with Him pointing to Abraham's obedience so that the Lord based the fulfillment of the covenant on Abraham's obedience. And the point here is he's encouraging Isaac, just as your father Abraham obeyed my voice, you too, Isaac, obey my voice. God's encouraging him, leading him to obedience. And that's exactly what Isaac does. In verse 6, he obeys God, he settles in Gerar. Things start off well, he's walking by faith, obeying God, listening to his voice. But we see very quickly he gave in to fear. Even though he had the, the present, or the promise rather, of God's presence. We see in verses 7 through 11, fear was challenging Isaac's faith. Another familiar episode here, almost identical to what we saw in Genesis 20 with Abraham and Abimelech. This is likely a different Abimelech because it's a different time. It's probably the same name, like the name of a dynasty that's passed down, but a, a very similar situation in the same place. And just like his father Abraham did twice, first in Egypt and then in Gerar, Isaac ends up as well lying about the identity of his wife, Rebekah, calling her his sister. It was a lie that was born out of fear. We read in verse 7, for he feared to say, my wife. Now, there may have been a legitimate reason for him to be afraid. His life really might have been in danger. So sometimes our fears are not illegitimate. They may be well-founded, but they're still not there to guide us. We are to take those fears, legitimate as they may be, to the God who is sovereign and reigns and rules above everything. His fear, a problem with it, didn't line up with the truth of God's Word. It's a good way for you to evaluate your fear. The things you fear, whatever you fear, does it line up with the truth of God's Word? Isaac wasn't living in light of God's promises that he had just heard in verses 3 and 4. He'd forgotten the Word of God. Sometimes people may think, I wish God would just speak to me audibly. If he would just tell me things and speak audibly to me like he did to people in the Old Testament, well, then I would walk in faith and then I'd be strengthened. And probably the best thing to tell yourself when you think that is, no, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. It didn't work for Isaac. He directly received the promises of God and he still struggled with fear. We still see his flaws. We still see a need for him to be strengthened by faith. Well, brothers and sisters, I think this episode helps us to, to consider how we can guard ourselves against fear. You know, fear so often, what it does, we've talked about this before, it lies to you about the future. Fear imagines a future where God's not going to provide for you. Fear looks at the future and forgets God's promises and starts to rely on self or, or others. It imagines a life on our own. And when we walk in fear, we're tempted with all sorts of, of other things. You know, fear often makes bad ideas seem like really good choices. How often does fear challenge you in your faith? How often are you pestered by fear to not trust God? We thought last week about 
laying hold of the promises of God, to take a, a, a promise like Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, where Jesus promises to his people, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, and to take that promise and to pray through it, to pray that passage, to pray, Lord, help me believe this promise. Help me to live in light of it. Shape my affections around the truth of your word, Lord. It's a great way to fight against fear. Come to God's word. Revisit his promises. If you want to encourage one another and have a ministry to one another, sometimes we wonder, what's the right word I can say at the right time? What's an encouraging word? Well, most often, I think we need to understand this. It's God's word. It's not a cliche. It's not patting someone on the back and saying this will get better because we don't know that. We don't know if things will get better. Each of us will face a trial that will be our last one. If Christ doesn't return first, we will each suffer and die. That will be our last trial on earth. We don't know that it will get better, but we know God is with us. We know God cares for us. We know God has a good plan for us, and His purposes cannot be thwarted. One of the greatest promises we can cling to is God is with us. How would it make a difference in your life this week if you believe that more? How would your struggle with fear be different? If you believe that promise, God is with you, if you believe that more. What about your fight against sin and temptation? Who wants to give in to sin when you acknowledge God's right here? He's watching. No one else may see this, but God does. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Understanding that God sees that He's with us, it's actually a great tool in helping us to fight against sin. Well, how would this knowledge that God's with you affect your experience of fear and loneliness? How might this help you trust God and, and wait for Him, the knowledge that He's, he's with you, that he, he hasn't forgotten you, that He hasn't abandoned you, Christian, that He's with you and He will provide for you? Pray for your soul this week that you would believe more the promise that God is with you. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, a wonderful promise to claim simple simple promises. The Christian life is not about graduating on to, to greater things. It's about taking the lessons we've learned and asking God, apply these to my heart that I might walk in wisdom. Well, it wasn't long before the truth came out. We see in verse 8, Abimelech looks out his window and realizes they really aren't brother and sister. He sees them laughing. Now, this is more than just laughing at a joke. Apparently, Abimelech saw Isaac and Rebekah doing some husband and wife things. And he thought, wait a minute, that's not your sister. What is going on here? He, he understood something was, was wrong and ends up Isaac being rebuked by a pagan king. The moral correction in his life came from one who we have no reason to understand in this passage, knew the Lord. God used this pagan king to protect Isaac. We see in verse 11 that Abimelech states, if anyone touches them, they die. Well, Isaac had just recently received promises directly from the Lord, yet he fell into fear and didn't live in light of God's Word. And I think as Christians, far too often we can relate to that. I've asked you this before, but a good question to consider. How quick are we to hear promises on Sunday morning that we struggle to live in light of on Sunday afternoon? Brothers and sisters, let's pray that God remind us of the truth of His Word. Let's remind one another. Let's ask the Lord to strengthen our souls to trust Him and His Word more. Let's remember that as we seek to walk by faith and obedience to God, we can know that in this life we still expect trouble. 
As our faith is tested, we're often tempted to doubt God's promises, to doubt God's care for us, to question His provision for us. But let us be reminded in those moments, especially Christian, God is with you. Do you recognize that God has already given you His greatest provision, Himself? As we struggle with fear and as we struggle with failure, we must look to Jesus. In Jesus, we know that God is with us and God is for us. In the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 21, we we read of the glory of Jesus when He came down to earth, the special name Emmanuel, title Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we read, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's the greatest provision we need, right? God to save us from our sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The greatest gift that God can give himself, he's already given to us. He sent his son Jesus down to earth for us and for our salvation. Jesus died on the cross as a payment for sin, dying for the sins of anyone who would trust in him. He rose from the dead on the third day. And before Jesus ascended into heaven, he promised to always be with his people. He ascended back into heaven, that his spirit would come down and dwell inside of anyone who would repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've not done that, if you know a lot about Jesus, but you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you need to know, you need the presence of God in your life. That's what we want you to know. You can try to fill that void in your life with all sorts of other things, treasures, in this life, but there will be a void there unless you come to God and ask Him to forgive you of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, if you repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus at that moment, the moment of conversion, when you become a Christian, the presence of God, His Holy Spirit, fills you. The promise that Jesus is with you, sealed and guaranteed by the presence and the gift of God's Holy Spirit living within you, a promise you can bank on in this life and in the next. And for those who have already trusted in Jesus, let us be reminded that the greatest blessing we need has already been given to us. The greatest comfort we desire, we already know that God is for us in Jesus Christ. God is with us, God is for us, and therefore we can trust Him for protection and direction. Let's consider a second scene of God's provision in verses 12 through 22. Provision from God's presence. The second scene we see, verses 12 through 22, provision from God's presence. You see, Isaac's failure, a failure he didn't get himself out of, by the way, he got caught. It's followed by God's blessing. This is a clear picture of God's mercy. His sins, they were many, but God's mercy was more. God blessed Isaac just like he said he would, and Isaac's failure did not take him out of God's favor. God rescued him out of his failure. And Christian, how often do we get that wrong? Our failures, we need to repent of them. We need to know them. We need to own them. We need to confess them to God. But those failures don't take us out of God's favor. 
Rather, God often uses those failures to draw us closer to Him. He's so good to even use our sin against Him to correct us, to guide us to repentance that we might see more of His kindness, and to use that to correct us and so we can walk in deeper obedience to Him. What we see in verse 12, Isaac stayed in the land, he stayed in obedience, and he sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Keep in mind, during a famine, crops don't grow. So to even like see like a tenfold increase would have been miraculous. We don't read of a 100-fold increase of crops anywhere else in the book of Genesis. This clearly was a provision that was miraculous and supernatural from the Lord. Isaac obeyed. He stayed. It took time. It takes time to grow a harvest. So it's not like God just, boom, caused a harvest to grow up out of anywhere. I would imagine that Isaac started to sow seed. He had to, to water, wait, wherever he could find water from. He was trusting on God. And God not only delivered crops, but delivered them in abundance. He might have been able to get food more quickly in Egypt. But while it wasn't immediate there in the land, when the blessing came, it was abundant. In other words, those who wait for the Lord will not be put to shame. Christian, you will never be disappointed by waiting on God. Waiting on God is always worth it. We see that the Lord blessed him there in verse 13. He became rich. He kept gaining. His possessions grew, flocks, herds, servants. Now, now God doesn't promise to bless all of His people like this materially, nor is this the main way that God shows blessing to His people. So someone tells you that, that you're going to be blessed materially if you just do the right things. That's not the gospel. Right? Sometimes ungodly people have great material possessions. Just look around the city of Charlotte. We see in the Bible there are the godly rich and the ungodly rich, the godly poor and the ungodly poor. So what counts is not what God's blessed you with materially, but the spiritual blessing of godliness is what stands out as a truly blessed person. However, we do see the Lord chose to be with Isaac in such a way that He gave him great material gain in a time of of famine. And He gave Isaac so much that we see at the end of verse 14 that the Philistines, they envied him. This envy, it led to conflict, so the Philistines cut Isaac off from water. They clogged up the wells that Isaac was using, wells that were originally dug by Abraham's servants. Not only were they envious of Isaac, but they became fearful of him. And in verse 16, Abimelech asks him to go away because Isaac was so much mightier than him. And the conflict comes to a head in verses 17 through 22. Isaac moves out of the city of Gerard into the valley, out into the country, and starts to dig wells in a location where his father Abraham had previously dug wells. And the Philistines, they stop these wells up likely to keep people from settling there. Isaac digs these wells again, which starts a quarrel with the people of Gerard. The Philistines, again, they were envious of what Isaac was receiving, and they were quarreling with him trying to take that water. Again, consider the situation. If Isaac didn't find a source of water in a famine, he would not survive. They'd die. This was a desperate situation. Rather than fight back, he kept moving, kept trusting, he kept digging. Now, God had already promised Isaac his presence. And as important as water is, something that you must have to survive, God had promised him something far greater than water. He promised His presence. So so use a a greater to lesser logic here. If God was providing the greatest gift of His presence 
then Isaac could trust God to provide this lesser gift of water. That's how it works in, in our life. It's the logic of, of Paul. In Romans 8.32, For he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It's a greater to lesser logic. Now follow the movement here. In verse 18, Isaac digs a well, he finds water. Again, you don't find water in a famine. That's why there's famine in the first place. No one was finding water except for Isaac. God was blessing him. Then in verse 20, a fight with the Philistines. Rather than fight back, Isaac kept moving, kind of like a peacemaker. And we see in verse 21, he digs another well. Same result, they quarrel. So notice this, Isaac was blessed and he still had trouble. It's a picture of life, this side of glory. And we have this experience regularly as Christians where we regularly know God's presence and we regularly face pain and problems. What does Isaac do? Again, in verse 22, he moves on, he digs another well, and finally, they did not quarrel over it. God promised to be with Isaac, to bless him, to give him his presence, and here we see the Lord provide for him. Isaac's enemies, they gave up as they recognize, hey, wherever Isaac goes, wherever he digs, the guy keeps finding water. They realize this wasn't luck. They realize he doesn't have some sort of secret map. This was his God. His God, the God of Abraham, is blessing him. God was with him. Even his enemies recognized that. Brother and sister in the Lord, we will face opposition. We have an enemy. We sang about it in our opening hymn this morning. That the devil, his forces, their real spiritual forces opposed to us. He will oppose us. Keep digging. Keep obeying. Keep trusting. Keep serving. Ministry of the church, you know what it is? To help each other keep obeying. To help each other keep trusting. To encourage one another. To pray for one another. To lock arms together in this race of faith. That until the race is complete. Together we walk with the Lord, blessed by His presence, a unity found in the Spirit of God, the people of God. Together, we keep digging. Isaac called that place Rehoboth, meaning room or open place. And we see the significance of that name in verse 22. For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. God had given Isaac a place of peace, peaceful dwelling there in the land. Well, Christian, consider how God, how His blessing in your life, it serves as a part of your witness. The Philistines saw God's blessing in Isaac's life, and it was a witness to them. Eventually, they got it. Isaac's God keeps providing for him. And again, for us as Christians, it's really not material blessings that are going to stand out. Do you think material blessings stand out that much in Charlotte? I mean, you can get a personalized license tag on your luxury car that says blessed. That's just not much of a witness. Come on, everybody's got nice luxury cars in Charlotte. Just drive down Fairview. You'll see a bunch at the stop sign. Think about what stands out. It's spiritual blessing. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle Paul highlighted the spiritual blessing that every single Christian has received. The blessing, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you're in this room right now, this blessing is yours right now and forevermore. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Spiritual blessing of God's presence, 
brings joy in our life, helps us to know peace and and kindness. So I ask you, Christian, what stands out in your life? Do others see the presence of God in your life? If people at work or people in your neighborhood would be surprised to learn that you're a Christian, that's a problem. They're not seeing the presence of God in your life. They're not seeing the fruit of worship, love, peace, obedience to God in His Word. So I ask you, do others see the presence of God in your life? Do others see your patience at work? Do you join in the chorus complaining about your boss? Or are you someone who deals graciously with others? Do you have that kind of witness? You see, that stands out. That's different. Somebody will say, you have a contentment that's not found in momentary circumstances. You have a peace and a kindness, and even when you mess up, because you will, you will mess up in front of your classmates and your coworkers and your neighbors. They will see the presence of sin in your life if they know you that well, but they'll also see the presence of God. I think there's something different about this person. That's called a witness, friends. And I wonder, how might others see the presence of God more through your life? Well, the final and third scene we find here in verses 23 through 33, guided by God's presence. Guided by God's presence. Scene three. As Isaac moved on, as he settled in Beersheba, which was the ancient home of his father, the Lord appears to him again and repeats promises there in verse 24. And the emphasis there once again being on the blessing of the Lord's presence. And Isaac responds, building an altar, which is worshiping, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, throughout this whole chapter, there have been three announcements of God's presence. Three times we see this promise of God's uh, presence to be with Isaac. The first mention in verse 3 was in the future tense, I will be with you. I, I will bless you. There's two more declarations here in this section of the chapter. In verse 24, the second mention of God's presence, fear not, for I am with you present tense. And then the third and final mention of God's presence down in verse 28, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you, the past tense. Future, present, past, God's blessing, put all of that together. God has been faithful. God is faithful. God will be faithful. He never changes. He makes promises. He keeps them. His presence is with His people always the greatest blessing we can know. You see, God's presence in Isaac's life was so evident that Abimelech and his men, they came back and wanted to make a peace treaty with Isaac. They didn't want him to go to war with them. They even kind of glossed over, saying, hey, we didn't do any harm to you. We didn't do good to you, which wasn't true. We see them quarreling with him in the opposition and them kicking him out of the land there. But they knew his enemies, the presence of God is with him, We are fleeing from that presence of God. So they feasted and they they exchanged oaths. They departed in peace. And just as God had provided peace for Abraham there in the land, Isaac received the same provision. And before the chapter ends, one more sign of God's provision there in verse 32. Isaac's servants returned with news. They found more water. Again, keep finding water in a famine. God kept blessing. Isaac, you've got peace, you've got water, 
God's provided for you just like he said he would. He's made room for you in the land. He's given you the greatest blessing of his presence. And now you've got safe dwelling in the land, water and crops, all that you need. By God's grace, Isaac found rest in the presence of God and rest from his provision. Well, we see in this picture, a, a passage rather, a picture of God's past blessing, his present blessing, and his future blessing. Christian, consider the ways that God's blessed you in the past. It's a good exercise. That's just called giving thanks. Look back and, and consider this week, even today, how has God blessed you in the past day, week, month, years? Thank Him for those blessings spiritually. Thank Him for material blessings and physical blessings. That will do good to your soul, especially when you struggle with discontentment. Look back to the past and be reminded of God's faithfulness to you. Consider also, how's God blessing you in the present? Far too often we miss out on that because we're locked in on what's not happening in the present. Not all that God is doing in us and around us. We seem to focus in on those two or three things that we perceive God isn't doing, rather than those two or three things we might recognize God actually is doing in my life. Again, a wonderful way to grow in your faith and be strengthened. Thank God for what He's doing in the present. Look for that. Ask Him to show that to you. I think He'd be delighted to answer that prayer request in your life. God, show me what you're doing in my life right now. Encourage me by your work. And brother and sister, consider God's promise to bless you with His presence in the future. Our future is as bright as the promises of God. Our future is not up for grabs as God's people. This afternoon, tomorrow, forevermore, in this life and in the next, God has promised to be with us, and therefore we are blessed people. Well, brother and sister, I conclude this sermon asking this question. How would it make a difference in your life if you trusted God's future blessing more? How would it make a difference in your life if you trusted God's future blessing more, that He's with you, He will protect you, He will provide for you. Through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life, He is with you always. As good as it is to know the presence of God today, God promises us more and more of Himself. And may it be our desire and our prayer for more of the Lord, to know Him more, to love Him more, to be aware of His presence in our lives more and more, to delight in Him more and more, to be in His Word more and more, to proclaim the goodness of the Lord in Jesus Christ more. May it be our desire for more of the Lord. May it be our prayer. Lord, I need You. Oh, I need You. Every hour, I need You. My one defense my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Let's bow and pray. Father, we pray you'd remind us that those who wait on you will not be put to shame. And Lord, so may it be our prayer increasingly that we need you, that we want more of you in our lives. Lord, may we give ourselves by your grace to pursue what will draw us deeper into your presence? And so we ask for your help, Lord. We ask for your help in temptation and sin. We ask for your help in times of apathy. We ask for your help in times of distraction and disobedience, Lord. Lead us to continue to repent, 
to keep digging, to keep walking by faith, to keep trusting, to keep believing your promises, to keep relying on the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.